Welcome back to Design Huddle, a podcast for creative professionals looking to level up. This podcast is hosted by myself, Ryan Warner, a UX designer based in New York City, and my co-host, Brendan Gross, a digital strategist for Fortune 500s. This podcast is the intersection of design, business, people, and just possibly the next big idea. We interview designers, thought leaders, co-founders, influencers, and sometimes just our friends from Instagram. If you like design, the internet, or storytelling, this just might be your new favorite podcast. We have a ton of incredible episodes and content coming out soon, so please subscribe. And for now, let's dive in to today's episode of Design Huddle. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Guys, today we have a very exciting guest. She does not need an introduction. We have Anne Fee from the beloved IG. She's done so much, and today what I really want to really get in with her is not only her story, her trajectory, but she has done so much in the design industry from freelancing, going in-house, and really even creating her own products. So we have a wide variety to learn from her today, and I'm super excited. I wish you guys could see my smile. <laughs> All right, so welcome, Manfi. Hello, hello. Really, really nice to see you, oh, to see, to hear you, <laughs> to be here. <laughs> That's basically just... my first podcast, so I'm sure I'm going to do some... <laughs> funny jokes and makes sounds very funny but i hope that's that's gonna work for us i don't really know <laughs> we yeah. just know each other so well even though we can't see each other we see each other in our mind's eye so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah awesome yeah all right Anfi. so let, let's get into this so let's first of all let's set the stage for everybody let's talk about your humble beginnings how did you get into design okay right so you want a short story or a long story <laughs> Let's go for the medium. Let's see what we got. Medium, all right. <laughs> Let me try. So basically, um, I came into UX design really randomly. It was my, uh, let's say, uh, naming mistake <laughs> because uh, my background was interior designer. So I was studying interior design. My parents are architects. And I was just thinking that, okay, I just got this interior designer bachelor degree and I want to study product design and my master. So I'm I was assuming that I will build some furniture after. And so, um, yeah, I just I enrolled uh, at university in Estonia. And Estonia is like mm. a very small country. It's near um, the Scandinavia. It's kind of Nordic countries in Europe. And there, people are very, very user-centered approach. They are very rational, very strategic. Uh, yeah, they do a lot of user research, basically. And I enrolled at uni university course and um, yeah, I was assuming, you know, I'm coming from Ukraine, where people usually just are very crafty, like they do a lot of beautiful things. And I just used to like, you know, build beautiful things without thinking behind it. Um, and so I've enrolled at university and we started to do something. And I was like really confused about what is going on, like what I've been doing, what are those workshops, what is 
what, what are those all approaches and methodologies? Like, I was really confused at start. And so yeah. um, I was literally tricked about the name of my master's degree, degree because product design actually uh, for the Nordic country meant user-centered design. And for me, it just meant that I'm going to build stuff. Um, yeah. And when we started to study this, at first, I still wasn't sure about what's going on. But then at some point, uh, my friend took me for a hackathon for like a weekend event. And again, I was not sure what is a hackathon i was just kind of you know like a student yet i was having a lot of fun so i was going to the hackathon to just enjoy the weekend and have fun and there i figured out what ux design is actually <laughs> it was really really fun to me because um it was just about the people i guess where i realized that in a weekend uh, instead of you know like in interior design or a product or industrial design you should like spend a lot of time with manufacturing with like all this construction stuff and yeah it's really about engineering and here in one weekend uh, you can interview the people you can understand the market you can uh, pitch your idea and get validate like some sort of feedback sessions from mentors and you can actually build a real product in one weekend and I was really astonished by that process uh, I was like wow have I just done this and I was just really like excited um, that you can do it really so quickly so that's actually like a very uh, yeah the, the, very, the way I discovered UX design after that I think I started to do a lot of my own projects like startups I started to get more um, into networking so I started to be really proactive meeting different people starting to get new first client's projects and then um yeah i started to build a lot of freelancing stuff like freelancing together with startups was kind of like a thing for me for the next two or three years and that's how i started to practice it but there is also another piece when i started to teach design i'm thinking i'm not gonna get into it right now because it's gonna be really long <laughs> wait hold on hold on Let, let's pause there so you're not gonna get into this next piece because of what what is this next piece next piece was um Again, like there was master degree, there were hackathons, there were uh, freelancing and 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 startups, and there, the 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 last piece that really helped me a lot was actually start teaching design because um, in 2016 I was still feeling myself very, uh, let's say, uh, how do you call that? Um, like you're not confident enough, you're thinking you're faking it. Um, oh, the imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still felt like. I just don't know a thing because of course I just yeah it was like kind of amateur trying to figure it out and uh, the, 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 then some people from the government in, in Georgia asked me hey could you be able would you be able to teach our students here and um, yeah initiate this new thing in Georgia there was not a thing as a UX design so they said this asked me if I can go over to Georgia and teach in the evening courses and of course, I was like, oh, no, like, I don't know anything. Why do you invite me? Anyways, uh, basically, after that course, I went, of course. <laughs> and after that course, after like four months of constantly uh, preparing content, uh, presenting this content, uh, feeling where I have the gaps, getting back, like, fill those gaps, and again, present every single day. That's when I finally realized, oh, I know a lot. I mean, I can, I feel confident enough now because... Like that was like a, let's say, nail, a final nail where I understood that um, even if, again, like you, when you speak about something, you understand where things are not matching with each other. And when people are questioning uh, what you're saying and when you kind of start, yeah, like you can see yourself from the outside. Uh, so that's when I realized, okay, 
now I know thing and I can really be confident. Oh, oh, I forget, there was another puzzle. There was also internship uh, in the service design company. But yeah, that's okay. That's enough for, uh, for, now for this question, I guess. No, no, no. This is, this is really good because... <laughs> really? <clears throat> no, okay. yeah, because I... Because what we're, I was about to get into is I feel like a lot of, especially the teaching, that's something I didn't know about mm. you. I, you know, my first, um, you know, eyes on you was on Instagram. And to yeah. me, that was what I thought you were going to get into teaching. So I actually kind of want to jump into this teaching thing mm-hmm. now because I definitely can see that, <clears throat> pardon, uh, my throat's asking for water, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think it's really interesting and very important that we don't skip over the teaching thing because I think this is how and why you're so good at not only what you're doing on Instagram in terms of teaching and really uh, breaking down information in very few slides for people to digest and I don't I don't want either you or us to gloss over it because it is a very important piece of the puzzle that I feel that a lot of people don't get to jump into or try they they these people that i'm talking about is they just think it's about the doing but in terms of it christo posts something about this night you know <laughs> i gotta i gotta uh because it's something i've been thinking about as well do you think that teaching has really solidified what you knew so yeah definitely i think there is even like this uh pyramid uh where i mean i think you should check out the picture as you can google something like uh learning uh pyramid or something like this where you can see how how each of the learning method is efficient in terms of like being building that confidence up and uh the the like the temper like the the smallest percent you can get about like the knowledge from is just by reading or by watching like a passive learning but uh, the more proactive you get the more practicing the more practical you get and the more you start talking about things uh that's what actually makes uh yeah builds up to your confidence uh, most efficiently and I just I just really felt it uh, after that course yes it's very <laughs> um, it's very yeah it really takes effort to build that bravery like to put yourself out there in, ter- in front of the people who may be more experienced than you maybe are more critical than you maybe they judge your words and so on just to you know present in front of the people you don't know yes it's very hard uh, but after one third fifth tenth time you understand those people so much more you start building relationship with those people and then uh what I liked about like offline teaching classes is that you can understand again you, you understand those people more and more and you understand their feedback and you can start being like start like stop being afraid of getting the feedback but being more excited about that feedback uh, even though they would judge you you know that they're not doing it for, like with the bad intent they just they just want to understand you and uh, and you're already feeling confident with what you're saying and how they feel about you and you can just relax and yeah if you don't know something you just joke here and uh, you go back home you figure it out you come back and present it better and I really loved it and I think uh, just because I was able to teach 
uh, offline. Uh, then I actually went in China in 2016 to teach on the online, like oh, like one-on-one school, uh, like a portfolio school for students who were trying to enroll to universities in U- in US. So I was teaching there like few more students, and basically after like let's say a few iterations. I was able to understand what works better for for people and what people get and what they don't get and where you should be more serious and where you should put the joke and where you should give a story and how you should roll out that story starting from like given the context then building up the story with some uh, conflict for example or some sort of uh, yeah crisis and then um, you know given the solution and how did you solve that crit- like critical thing and so yeah, I guess just because I was I had this opportunity or like a luxury to teach offline before it was really helpful for me. Uh, also to understand things like UX design um, as 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 an industry much better, as well as like building the products and being practical at, at this point. It just really helped me a lot to digest a lot of information. Um, and then I I remember I started just putting a lot of notes to to like you know. Uh, MacBook notes. They, I had like a lot of messy notes, and I felt like um, after the read, after reading the book, which I mentioned to you in the live stream, "Show yeah. Your Work" by Austin Kleon, I was just like, okay, why do I have those notes uh, here in my notes? Why shouldn't I just post them online? And that's how it started, basically, with Instagram. That is absolutely amazing. I, you brought up so many good points, especially the difference between passive learning in active learning mm. passive learning you know just reading the absorbing of that information and to actually retain that oops <laughs> that's my food that is my food alarm everybody yeah. um <laughs> but you know the absorbing i i think there's studies around where the stuff that you are reading or passively absorbing you only retain about one to five yeah, percent yeah, yeah, yeah. of that information and then the application of, of that information I, I, I don't have any information on studies on that after actually applying the doing so in in that instance it could just be a designer learn something from youtube and then they're implementing it in their mm-hmm. work yeah and yeah, yeah. the third stage of that is what we've just been talking about the teaching how in exactly what you said how can i get my class to understand better how can i break it down even better and that's really getting into deep of what you've been actively doing and being able to break it down to a degree to where other people can be like, oh, that is a mastery of the of what you have been applying in your in your doing as a designer. And being able to teach other people to do it is just a whole nother skill. So I'm really I'm glad we didn't skip over this. I think this yeah. is a, a gold mine. <laughs> okay, cool. So with that, I I want to pose this question to you. So let's talk about your thoughts on designers who value the doing or the application of the design. So the the second piece or the second stage in um, this three-step process we talked about. We talked about the absorbing of information, the application of information, and then the teaching. So in my my, uh, experience, and I'm sure in yours as well, there's a lot of talk amongst, you know, designers where it's all about the pixels all about the perfect the 100% perfect design in the sketch file design file what are your thoughts on the doing side of design where do you where in your mind in design is the true value is it in the sketch file is it in the strategy <laughs> mm-hmm. 
What is it for you? Oh, big. <laughs> it's a very big question. Um, I feel like, to be honest, it really depends on where you are at your journey to to understand how what's your practical um, approach should be. Just because, um, again, when I was starting, uh, for me, it was really important to, you know, get into craftery again, like just to make those pixels shiny, uh, make sure I can like communicate to the users uh, the right thing. And for me, it started was, of course, about kind of UI, about how it looks and um, yeah, basically just building an impression. But then, of course, after uh, working in a freelance, I started to be really, I guess it's very natural for many people to transition to that way that you start having all the same patterns when you're working with the clients and you understand that, oh, guess, okay, so we have another change, another change, and another change, and you're just making all those pixels and pixels and pixels, and, like, you're just annoyed with the process, how it is, and you don't understand why we're doing this again. So, basically, after the 55th, 55th circle of changes, you understand that you completely destroy your design and it's not the same anymore and you want, don't want to put it into your portfolio. And then, after that, of course, you deliver it to developers and they destroyed even more so I, I started to be really let's say skeptical about UI design and I was like okay I need to kind of step back and figure out how do I make the process better and of course here again like I get back to the thing that I was learning at university and um, think that I was again like teaching for my students uh, in yeah. terms of user experience practices design thinking practices all this cool design processes and I was just again like I'm gonna start applying those with my clients if they don't again like it's actually much more complex of course because when you start offering proper search and backing up your uh, design solutions with the proper search in front of your clients yes you have really valid points to your clients but no not everyone not every client would like to hear those points and not every client would like to pay for those points so uh, yeah. then of course I started to be more curious about how do I sell UX research and um and, and, and how do I make sure that I can bring more value with my UX research to the clients? And yeah, this is like, it's a very long journey, in fact, from pixels literally to strategy and to be sure that you're doing the right thing and you think before you're uh, putting it into the pixels. Um, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's take this. When solving bigger problems, what skill is necessary to solve bigger problems? Strategy mm -hmm. or pixels of course as for me of course strategy i mean that's without the goes without saying um again like it's i'm right now i'm afraid that i'm afraid even sometimes to be a little bit skeptical about pixels i'm trying to always get back to the mindset where pixels are still important but i'm just seeing much bigger uh impact when you start with strategy and understanding uh how do you want to market this product when do you see this let's say, um, yeah, like a sweet spot on the market, who do you target it for, um, what exactly the pain that you are trying to solve, and uh, after testing a few concepts, how this pain is being solved, and like understanding how, like exactly what your product is for, and again, asking a lot of whys before even putting it, like putting it into the pixels. So for me right now, I see much bigger impact uh, from doing this process um, rather than just, again, 
doing these nice shiny screens and then seeing absolutely no conversion or interest on engagement on your product even though you felt like but why it's beautiful uh, uh, you took all the best practices from the market you maybe even did some uh, usability testing with your friends but still nobody needs your product and I believe that if you would just take this extra step at the beginning and understand what are those particular user needs or pains or fears uh, in this case, in this context, then you will just be able to be much more real about what problem and where, or let's even say features you should focus on at the moment uh, and where you should put your energy into. Um, so yeah, strategy, of course. Yeah, and <clears throat> the reason I, I asked that, and it, you answered it perfectly, so thank you. I It really is the journey, you know, the last bit of content I did with Michael, Michael Janda, is we were talking about it is extremely important, just like you said, to go through understanding how pixels affect business, how research affect business, and how strategy affects business. And it's really a collection of understanding each and every stage of that, you know, your growing process of what, how do pixels affect the business? How does research affect the business? And then strategy and as you get further along in your career, the more the strategy is, like you said, the strategy is more impact, but it requires ha understanding the breadth of how everything that you've been learning through your career impacts the business. But you have to, in order to solve bigger problems, you have to be more strategic rather than a pixel pusher. And I, I, I really like to harp on, not harp, but I like to talk about this 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 topic because i continue to see i love dribble and you that's where I, I i've met so many of my ig friends from is is dribble and um you know i teach a lot of younger designers and you teach as well and they tend to focus on just pixels 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 and they think that it's going to be better pixel creating that is going to help them move up in their career but it's really just like you said the your trajectory of starting with pixels, starting to understand research, starting to understand the, the value of research and then how to move into business strategy and how to actually apply design to business. Yeah. And um, I think that unfortunately it's happening because we designers, most of us, not everyone of course, but many of us are coming from, let's say, graphic design background or making things beautiful background where we just want to make art you know, we want to make money from yeah. art, not exactly from yeah. strategy. And you're pushing me on the do, doing this research I'm not interested in. And that that's unfortunate. Uh, I, I understand completely that sometimes you just want to make things beautiful. And it just, it's it's great. I, f I know how beautiful it could be and how enjoyable is the process. But the market sometimes um, is a little bit harsh. And just because there are so many people who are doing absolutely beautiful work and so many beautiful illustrations, pixel branding, etc., it's how hard it's getting so hard to compete with those people that if you still want to reach some hate or if you want to get somewhere it's better if you're taking maybe your strategy as a let's say even market marketing uh, competitive advantage uh for your portfolio and yeah you can it's like if we talk again talking about here about like a strategy um we can talk here about like you know red ocean blue ocean thing mm -hmm. where there's like 
so many cool UI designers, uh, but unfortunately the market is just really saturated and it's, it feels like red ocean a little bit, whereas UX and strategy, it's still sort of a blue ocean because again, not every creative even thinks about strategy behind the solutions they're doing. So it could be a competitive advantage if we're thinking yeah. about future. Let's break that down for the audience. I know what you're talking about, but what is a blue ocean and what is a red ocean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, red ocean is basically the oversaturated market where mm. uh, the margins are very small or let's say the offering is very, very broad that the client or the person who is interested in the service, uh, first of all, his eyes, he's becoming very picky because the standards are raised. Uh, the prices are lower and if you still want to get something of, of whatever you're selling uh, you're kind of forced to lower your rates even though you can bring a great value or you just yeah you just don't stay competitive basically um, whereas the blue ocean is more like innovation I mean in, in terms of UX UI it's not like innovation anymore because again Every decent company should have a UX designer, I think. But still, again, just because the creative market is very, again, into creation and um, focusing on the UI side of it, it's, uh, it's, it feels like for many creatives, uh, UX is still something, something that is not very clear or not tangible. It's, it's sort of like an innovation where uh, the blue ocean stands for like being innovative, entering the new markets, uh, being leaders at something new and or being leaders in a niche and basically be top mind uh, from the start rather than compete with the markets where the margins are very, very low. So like, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, yeah, selecting the thing or finding the opportunity where you can be more successful than, yeah, on the red, on the red ocean. I think a simpler, well, not a simpler, but just another way to, uh, another example is, you know, in terms of designers as a whole, if we're looking at the, the difference between a red and blue ocean, you can take, you can look at a red ocean and be like, okay, every tech company or every company should have a UI UX designer or a designer, but the red ocean, when we look at designers, is everybody that just knows both. The The first step is like the red ocean is filled with people who can just move the pixels in the design files, right? Like that's right. the first thing we learn in, in college or that's the skill and that's the, the barrier to entry level skill, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the next thing where you start to get more of a pink ocean where it's less saturated <laughs> um, yeah. is where you have a designer that understands both how to push the pixels and understand the research. Mm -hmm. And right. then when you get into the blue ocean is where you have a designer that not only understands the how to push pixels, how, you know, how to do the research side of things, but who also understands profitability um, and the, the business of design and how to use those skill sets to better position the business for profitability that is the the blue ocean red ocean example yeah, i love it I love inside how, how, a company how you put it into the pinky water as well because I feel like that's <laughs> let me get in that pink water i wish i wish the i wish the pink water was the blue water but maybe it's like um, violet water you know like uh between pink and red and blue something violet yeah. <laughs> yeah. so let's let's move on let's so thank you for like 
really breaking down how you started and I really love the teaching background. That is That explains so much and for those of you guys listening, if you can find an opportunity to teach, that is really going to step up your game in anything that you really are doing. And I can speak from example as a martial artist, like that teaching, uh, you know, starting young and starting to teach at such a young age, I advanced very quickly because I had to teach um, not only, you know, children, but people that are way older than me. I was 16 teaching, you know, 20 plus. I was teaching the adult classes, but I was way more advanced than them because I had to, I had such an understanding of the moves. And the same thing goes to anything. It can be paralleled into design. It could be paralleled into understanding a, a topic so well that you can teach it. That's why we have speakers at conferences, etc. The masters teach what they know. All right. So Amphi, let's talk about what you're doing right now. I know you have a course, you have tons of students. I really want to talk about your trajectory now. What are you focused on? Where, where are you headed? Uh, let's talk about today. Yeah, sure. Um, so at the moment, uh, as, as you probably already know, I'm, um, I used to freelance for like last six years and mm. was like kind of freelancing hand in hand with my startup. At some point it was actually a startup full time, but um, then things started to fall apart and we decided to kind of put a startup on the break. It was like three years old startup, so it was like a big thing. But then I was kind of, okay, Started doing workout. I don't have energy for it or motivation. I'm gonna focus on freelancing, and so I was freelancing for like six years, uh, I guess, like oh. constantly. And at some point, I mean, I just enjoyed the idea that I'm building something my own. I just enjoyed the idea that I'm focusing on my brand and building relationships with the client, and I just really loved it until it became really hard for me to sit at home and just be on my own, sort of where um because like i feel myself quite an extrovert and to me it started the, the walls started to be too big to push like to uh overwhelm it like i needed to talk to someone i needed to discuss my ideas or i needed to to have a strategic session with someone and when you're online it just it just doesn't feel the same and um since my startup was on a pause so i didn't have my co-workers um near me anymore um I was literally, for one year, I was literally just in my room. And then I started to be a little mm. bit crazy. And that was a point when I realized that I'm going to, sooner or later, I'm going to move to to work at some product company because I didn't uh, envision working myself at a digital agency. So yeah. it was already in my mind, but I was still focusing on working on the online course because uh, the idea was to produce enough content to launch 50% of the course, like a course ready. And so I was pretty sure that the whole summer I was spent working on the online course. But then, um, yeah, in May, this uh, one company, which is actually a US company, um, reached me out, uh, offering me a very compelling offer, let's say, and I just couldn't resist. And the team was really great. And the product was, it was exactly product company, really high scale with like 2,000, uh, 200s, wait a second, 220,000 customers. So I knew that, oh, wow, that's something interesting. We can actually, uh, yeah, it's a bigger scale product. And I wanted to experience this. So when they yeah. reached me out, uh, yeah, everything was just, too good to deny and i i was like okay seems like i'm gonna have two full sign me up <laughs> and here <Right>. we are <laughs> yeah 
let's talk about why you didn't want to hop to a in-house. What was what was the mm-hmm. thought process during that time? Uh, do you mean what what exactly in-house? Do you mean like in in uh design agency cuz now you work you you have a full-time job. So what was the thing that was was why didn't you want to work for another company? What was in your mind? Uh, yeah, like when I was freelancing, do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, this I guess it's very hard to say just in one answer. I'm trying to, you know, reflect a little bit here, but I feel like, first of all, freelancing came to me naturally. It was not like a thing that I like always dreamt about. It was just mm. like, okay, I'm a very relationship person, so I started to build a relationship really early on from that hackathon in Estonia. And so, like, basically, all the clients I've had were literally from people I kind of knew somehow or they referred me and I just had sort of friendly relationship with those people and it was never like a business business where I sell where I do some hard thing it was just literally I'm working with people I like and every project I took was really something interesting that I would enjoy and people were cool and I would I don't know I would fly over to them and I would just have like a great week for design sprint or something and I would just also enjoy traveling so for me it was really all about people at the clients I would be able to work with and again like as my strategy moved towards getting clients from social media because I started Mm. with offline then it moved slowly to online I knew that I'm starting to with my content I knew that I start to um, I started to uh, like attract the people who like what I'm doing or who are with me on the same page so the clients I was getting are not those clients that somebody say said to me you've got to work with this person but rather than like not being enjoying with with the project that i'm working on but rather than like attracting the people who are really sharing the same um some sort how do you say um some sort of yeah they are sharing the same values with me or same ideas or same process and that was just i guess the major point for me that i wanted to work with the people i like um so the freedom the freedom to work with sort who you of, like. Yes. So not like even like a financial freedom or stability or something. It was really for me like freedom to work with people, which I want to work with, who chose me, who I chose. Uh, and it's mutual. Like It's kind of relationship, building a relationship and enjoying those relationships, even though we're to- getting towards like business goals. It's much more enjoyable when you're working with people uh, who you understand, who understand what you're doing. You don't have to sell your ideas or so, and so forth and so on. Yeah. Got you. So I know we're coming close on time, but I really want yeah. to get into the benefits of I want to get like the pros and cons, uh, mm-hmm. I guess the pros and cons. But do you still have the freedom that you have uh, now working at the company that you're working at? Do you still feel mm-hmm. like you have the freedom, lack of um, lack of stress? What are the trade offs that mm-hmm. you had compared mm-hmm. to where you were with freelance? Let's talk about yeah. that really. Yeah. Quick. So, again, if we're like closing the chapter with the freelance thing. Um, as I said, people were a lacking point in my daily routine and I just felt that I need people right around me. And that was really something I was just eager to have no matter what. Uh, and I was even thinking, okay, if I'm not going to find like a good product company, I'm going to work in design agency, even though I know that it's not the best thing. Um, it could be really stressful but the truth is that freelancing is also very stressful especially when you have a very like like let's say shortage in communication when your clients are on the other time zone when they are busy and you just don't it's not like you don't have this luxury of 
poking them uh, and saying like, hey, what about this small thing? So you just don't have this luxury and you start working with a lot of assumptions and you start developing those internal, maybe like fears or yeah, like kind of your own, you develop your own fears, I would say. And I just stopped enjoying this and it was becoming a very highly stressful uh, process for me because again, I just didn't have enough insights from people I'm working with. Um, So again, I started to be very stressful. I just didn't have people around me. I started to be very caught up in my own world and my assumptions. And those, that's why I just needed to move to the agent, not agency, the product company where I would be surrounded with the people who have insights I'm looking for, uh, who would be open and cool and interested to, to like change and the new processes. And, um, so yeah, I moved to this company. Uh, it's a product company. We are working with POS systems and it's, a f- so I love this company from start because, they just started to get a lot of people. Um, in our office, we've got, it was like a very, uh, yeah, like they started to hire a lot of people over the summer. And mm. I knew that this is a great opportunity to start building, uh, let's say your own fundamental here, like establish your processes, establish your communication things. Of course, going through a lot of mess, miscommunications and misunderstanding, but of course, based on these mistakes, build something that would work and that you would be also a part of. And as for me, yes, it's really cool. I'm really enjoying right now going to the office because um, at home I can't work anymore. I'm just having that kind of stress from the past. You're, so you're the PTSD from yeah, being yeah, in yeah. the room. From also. working from home. <laughs> That's I a totally good understand term. that. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. And every time, like, people in my office actually, like, sometimes complaining that they want to work from home more, and I'm the only person who wants to go to the office every day. <laughs> You're like, so, I've had enough of that. We had six years. We're good. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's always funny, the, the trade-offs. Like, you know, going in-house, you actually have access to those people that help, that are not only trying to solve the same problem, but you're there, you have that camaraderie, there's people who are very gung-ho about solving the same problem as you are they can help you and it's hard when freelancing when you're that solo person trying to work with your assumptions you don't you can't just tap on someone's shoulder and say hey um you know your analytics person or whomever your marketing person to align your strategy it's very hard to do strategy when you're um when you're doing freelance unless you have that access and working in-house is you have it's easier to have that access for sure much much more accessible to you <laughs> yeah I, I wanted to bring that up because I, I you just had that transition happen so so um recently mm-hmm. and i thought you'd be like the great person to to bring up like the pros and cons of of freelance so uh in terms of freelance the pros are again you attract people who like you and what you're doing uh, then you establish your processes and you learn a lot because you kind of, yeah, it's your responsibility. So you learn on your own mistakes. That's your responsibility. And that could be a very fulfilling thing. You, um, yeah, you're, you're, you feel almighty because you're building a business. Um, of course, it's like your own journey. So you learn how to sell more or let's say get more money from that. 
I guess the biggest pros from freelancing is that you are learning to build your own business uh, based on your experience and nobody else um, tell you how to do things. Um, you figure it out yourself. Um, and the cons of it is, of course, things that we don't see on the surface. Uh, we don't see how many struggles there, uh, how many stresses there, how many uh, miscommunication is there. And um, yeah, yeah, there are many things also. And, and also another <laughs> con that I need to bring up here is that you forget to eat. Um, like you don't have, you kind of sit in front of your monitor 24-7 and you forget to eat, you forget to brush your teeth, you just wake up and go to run over to your computer and you kind of be, stop being a normal human being um, at some point. So it's very, it's very hard to be normal when you're sitting at home 24-7 for, for a year even. Um, yeah. When, number yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna put that in a quote next thing from uh design huddle cons of freelancing you forget to eat and yes. mic drop <laughs> no that that is important like all of you said it uh better at the tail end of that where it's just like the ways of normal human human interaction human beings like what other people do you begin to lose in touch with yeah that's correct i believe um, so I remember I was really, really hungry for like a human like interaction, yes. talks, coffees with others and so on. And it's yes. very natural to want those when you don't have anyone. That, yeah, that's uh, when you become that person that is stalking the the Starbucks or the coffee shops and stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, oh, I, I just remember another con, not con, the pros of freelancing is that mm. you actually... Uh, have enough time to to do your social media <laughs> uh, that I don't have any more time right now and uh, that's another thing okay so now about um, yeah in-house in-house or in a company so okay let's start with the good thing so pros process that again I guess it's like the opposite of what you have in a freelance so you have people uh, you have fun you have jokes you have things in common, uh, you have lunches together, um, and you can have more stability with that for sure. Again, if I suggest definitely to work with a product company because in this case you would have really less stressful environment. In these digital agencies, everybody wants things for yesterday, but in the product companies, you kind of have a luxury to take your time. Take it, like, talk to some people, um, make a presentations here and there. And so you have time, literally, because the scale is bigger, so responsibility is bigger, and so you're being asked to make everything thoughtful. Um, so, the, the, and of course, because it's a more stable company, you can have, uh, you can get paid really more, um, from freelancing if your your freelance game was not at the level let's say top level let's say so yeah freelancing can feel much more stressful in a, as mm. a, like to how do you say as opposed to to, to, to product companies um, and about the cons of the um, working in-house the con number one is of course a lot of meetings especially from product companies like if, if it's a big company I am right now working at the corporation we have a tone, like we, sometimes I feel like I'm not working, I'm just talking, which is good after freelancing for six years. But, <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, it could be annoying at some point when you give the same answers over over and over again, and you learn to document to everyone and present only once. Um, another pros, uh, another con is that um, uh, yeah, I guess you don't have time for social media anymore, and it becomes stressful to keep up with your uh, online brand if you're having one. And of course, after you come back home, you like there is this light feeling that could trick you uh, that you feel accomplished for today. And so it's very easy to just, oh, okay, I've done my job today. I'm going to sit on the sofa. I don't know, watch something, go to drink coffee or something. And it's uh, for me personally, this is something I'm still fighting with because that feeling kind of could take me away from working on my online course, which is another job I'm having right now. So uh, yeah, if you're having side goals, side hustles, it's very hard when you have a full-time job because it kind of tricks your mind that you're accomplished things for the day and you can relax right now. Uh, and if you're having other goals, ah, you know, they, they could wait and the same feeling would come back to you every day. Um, yeah, but so far I can't give you more cons on the product company because I'm really enjoying it, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I for, for a lot of the people who I've caught have conversations with they think that freelance is like the way to you know just have the the freedom and i really because i do think that you can get the freedom from working at a company that you absolutely love get paid what you deserve and find a place where you have that flexibility enough to not only do your due diligence in that job but also have that free time outside of it and also have actual capital to apply to your your side hustle where you know it's a lot easier for me now than when I was working for myself only to throw money at things I'm trying to build versus trying to build everything myself it's very hard to scale um doing everything myself so yeah that's just one thing I, I wanted to mention you you really did bring us through a very great uh, story today. Thank you so much for bringing us through like where you started, how you got into teaching, uh, your freelance career, and also the pros and cons of doing your own business, freelancing, and also what it meant for you to move into in-house. So thank you very much. Oh yeah, we've talked a lot, I guess, about it. <laughs> but yeah, it was really nice to actually go through many, many of those learning points. Um, thank you so much for having me and for asking all those amazing questions. Of course. All right, Amphi, tell everybody where we can find you and what's <laughs> yeah. your course? Yeah, of course. So you can find me on Instagram mainly um, as AmphiSign, like Amphisa and Design. <laughs> and also you can uh, check my online course uh, as UXforfreelancers.com. So here's how you can find me. <laughs> awesome. And for those of you guys listening, we will have that course in the description of this podcast. So don't worry. And thank you so much, Anfi. So, guys, do not forget to share this podcast with your friends. And don't forget to write those reviews, guys. This is what's going to help us make this community larger and so that we can make more of the activities that we have for you guys. And just everything, just our entire mission, everything that we're trying to bring to you guys, it will help a lot. Yay. <laughs> so. <laughs> 
So thank you very much for listening. Amphi, thank you so much for joining us today. And I cannot wait to have you on with Ryan on more topics. So thank you very much. Hopefully. Yay. Thank you so much again. Bye. Awesome. Bye, guys. Design Huddle is a podcast that is hosted by Ryan Warner and Brendan Gross. The opinions stated here are our own and not those of our company. Thank you for tuning in and please feel free to share this episode.